Welcome to SEO Conspiracy.com. And today I have the great pleasure to welcome back again on the podcast the one and only Mr. Bill Swalski. Bonjour, Mr. Bill. Hello, how are you? <laughs> I'm good. And yourself? Good, thank you. I made a short introduction this time. If I had to redo the introduction, I wanted to say that you are one of the most knowledgeable person about algorithms and Google algorithms in particular, but you never ever since day one tried to manipulate these algorithms for profit, fame, or whatever. And from uh, even the mindset part of view where I think we connect also is that instead of money and fame, you prefer to chill by the sea, <laughs> <laughs> grow beautiful flowers, walk around and take pictures of uh, landscapes. And while we could have uh, made fortunes, building tools, <laughs> making, manipulating page rank and more. Uh, what is remarkable and maybe a little less known about you is your work, uh, GoFish Digital, your agency, and how right. since day one, you already tried to, not try, <laughs> succeeded in one, optimizing for SEO, but never forgetting that there is a human being reading the content. Um, and from the early 2000s, I'm, I'm guilty of having published a lot of pages that were definitely more for search engines than, uh, than humans. Um, can, can you tell us a few words? Uh, why did, since day one, you decided that, no, I don't want to spam. <laughs> I, I want to do it well. I worked as an in-house SEO for a company that was started by a couple of friends. And the reason why I was attracted to SEO was I wanted to make sure that they were fairly represented in the search engines. I wanted to make sure that they had a chance to communicate with people who might become customers. I wanted uh, to see consumers become clients of theirs because of what they said on their pages rather than anything that might have tricked them into becoming clients. We, we addressed and, that a little bit last time, but if we bring it back into the context of the early 2000, already right. caring about user intent and all was pretty visionary, I have to admit, because not many of us uh, cared that much. We cared a little bit, but you really said no. <laughs> I, I was reading stuff outside of SEO. I was reading user experience type mm. stuff and all that. And uh, the, the thought that you, you understand your audience as best as you can because you want to know what words they were using to talk about what products or services you offer. Mm -hmm. And those are most likely the words they're going to use search for what you offer. So knowing who that audience is, what they're looking for, what problems they have to solve, is, is a solution. And one of the most effective early SEO tools that I implemented was a notepad next to the phone of the person who, 
who talked to clients every day and said, okay, let's write down questions people ask that we don't have answers for on the website. And let's decide whether or not we want to put them on the website. You're even more high tech than me on that level because I'm still <laughs> <laughs> I'm still pen and paper type of guy. Um, oh, it, it, was, it was very effective because we ended up answering questions and the answers would end up showing up in uh, uh, articles by lawyers uh, who are writing for law reviews uh, uh, from different law schools. They were publishing about this was an incorporation business, and they're publishing about why people incorporate in Delaware based on things we were writing on our website. Because there are unique situations and, and there are legal aspects of why that works. We wanted to make sure our audience understood. But you had a clear advantage right from the start because you did study law. Well, that's why I get involved in a uh, incorporation business. That's yeah, but why. Let, let, let's say that you studied law, and you started off with a website about um, payday loans. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean. So, so I think it definitely helped that you you didn't know about uh, about the topic also. Right. Mm. So yeah, yeah. I mean, we had classes on corporate law and why people. Uh, use different business structures to per perform business. And I spent a couple of years working on things like that. So mm -hmm. actually uh, writing content for a website to focus on that type of thing made sense. I was to, to a degree a subject matter expert at that point. That's very good. I mean, honestly, respect, respect, because again, putting it back into context of, of the early 2000 um, and in the long term you win because you can still talk about that website yeah i can't talk about that many websites that i built back in those days okay <laughs> maybe a handful gave, max but <laughs> i gave a presentation on friday and talked about a website that i was worked on in 2005 mm. that i'm very proud and proud of because what I did in 2005 is a direction that they took up and have followed since then. And That's they, they uh, mm. amplified that considerably. It was the uh, uh, first time I actually optimized any pages for entities. Mm. So I did entity optimization in 2005, long before Google had a knowledge graph. Mm -hmm. And it made sense to do in that uh, circumstance. It was a, a Baltimore.org website, and, and we were trying to optimize a page for Baltimore Black history. So we were trying to get the phrase on the page a number of times to help the search engine know that's what it was about. And we said, after three months of not gaining, gaining much traction, we said, this isn't working. We're going to try something else. And I, I talked my, I was working with a copywriter, and I said, okay, Create a walking tour of the city of Baltimore and talk about the famous historical churches and schools. And you, you want to get that? I can. No, I have no interest. In... <laughs> they want to sell you something? <laughs> yeah, I think they do. I, I... 
my landline must get spammed these days. Well, I always uh, say that maybe the mailbox is the best uh, undervalued place to spam right now because there's nothing interesting in the um, in real life mailbox. <laughs> so if yeah. you get a nice letter in there, I think that that would work better than calling everybody on the phone. Uh, but entities, yes, you were saying that. Uh, I, I, instinct is uh, not the proper word because instinct is from your DNA. But yeah. I think I don't know any other word to express what you are um, telling so, us so, now because so you I felt knew, it. Yeah, I knew that the city of Baltimore has like a nine foot tall statue of Billy Holiday. They have six townhomes that Frederick Douglass purchased when he was in his 60s. And he was a slave as a young man. He escaped. He uh, had success as a, a, a person doing shipping. And he made lots of money. And he, came, he moved back to Baltimore when he was in his 60s. And he built six, he bought six townhomes. He uh, uh, got involved in the community. And, and seeing where he built those was interesting to people. Seeing the statue of Billie Holiday, where she lived, where she grew up, was interesting. There were types of things that people would come to Baltimore to actually see. And I said, okay, let's put this information on the website. Let's, we're trying to write about black history by just using the phrase black history. We should actually tell the history. We should name these people, these places, these things. Mm -hmm. And having the entities on pages would make a tremendous difference. So within three months, we went, uh, from a page you got absolutely no traffic at all to it being the sixth most visited page on a page of 300 pages or a website of 300 pages. Wow. So it's very successful because it got people to actually visit the city. And it was a website that was a visitor's center, convention center for the mm -hmm. city of Baltimore. So that was a purpose behind the site, get people to visit. Wow. That's very interesting uh, because I really believe that it's by that's why I think you belong to the crew of search engine hackers because in the true spirit of of um, hacking algorithm, understanding, uh, yeah. feeling what um, how and what you need to feed uh, Google uh, is the key, and especially we will it's not for today. But what does Google want future versus what does Google have today or in past is, I think, where we are now, uh, very, like a turning point, especially with this change at the head of Google. But no spoiler. That's for <laughs> the, in, a, in a couple of uh, episodes. Today, it's about the Google Zoo. And that, that was also more than an earthquake, I would say, with like waves, of tsunami waves. <laughs> right. So, so I have to admit right off, I never ever had a site that was penalized. I never had a panda site. I never had a penguin site. Even some, um, I had clients who had forums who got hit by panda. Yeah. And they were genuine, real good forums, like really big. Um, but because of the architecture and, and the type of content that a forum has, uh, got hit by Panda, but outside of those forums, uh, no, no. I, I was adopting practices that uh, 
Google seemed to like a lot. Like in 2003, I was telling people about the uh, Stanford University uh, website credibility project, the things that make websites credible. Oh, tell us and a little bit more about that. Okay. There, there are like six rules for making websites credible. You identify who the people are who, involved, who are involved in the website and what background they have, what their education is, what their experience is. You include that information on things like their about page. You let people know who, are, who the people are who are behind the website. And, and making that type of information available increases the trust and credibility. The, the person who started that website provided an example of uh, uh, Ed McMahon from the Publishers Clearinghouse showing up at your front door uh, with a oversized check in his hand saying, congratulations, you won Publishers Clearinghouse. <laughs> That's and, cool. <laughs> and if you recognize he was Ed McMahon, that meant you knew he was serious. You won. Wow. Because it was very credible. Mm. Okay. You knew that he was involved in that uh, in Publishers Clearinghouse. Uh, you understood the context. Mm. Makes and sense. Being able to understand why people might understand a website's credible uh, makes sense. It, it also said things like uh, include uh, ways of uh, acknowledging uh, the credibility of information you're citing, links that you provide uh, uh, on your pages go to uh, authoritative sources. The, the, the issue is that in real life, I don't know if you have that feeling, but when we meet business owners or they could tell you everything like you have a lunch, business lunch, and they will express it very well. But when it comes down to expressing it well on the web pages, there's a gap, huge gap. They, if they realize that they don't know these people, these people are coming to the website and they want to know who, who they're talking to, who they're dealing with, who they might become the customer of. If you give them a reason to believe in you, to understand you, to uh, acknowledge that, that you know what you're talking about, uh, they're more likely going to become your customer. But don't you have a feeling that sometimes, maybe it's changing now, but I remember a time where people were building a website and they say, okay, finally, we won't have to talk to the customer anymore. Yeah, okay, we, we will hide the phone number. No more customer support, no more. <laughs> so, so when I was uh, doing in-house SEO in the corporation business I was working with, the person who uh, I was working with said, make my phone number very visible. Make people call me. Because nice. if they call me, there's a better chance that I'll turn them into customers because I'm good at talking with people. Mm -hmm. So he, he wasn't afraid of talking to customers. That's, that's a good like, example. Because I have like the opposite type of examples. I remember this kind of selling sofas and leather seats and stuff. And like the, the least expensive item was maybe 1,500 euros. And yeah. he hid the phone number. He didn't want to 100% of his clients call. 100 he he said, I don't want to send people really long emails. Let me yeah. talk. It's easier. Yeah, that's nice. Yeah. By the way, 
Yes. People listening on the podcast, you don't see that Bill is wearing a CBGB t-shirt. <laughs> I used to live in this village, 12th Street between 3rd and 4th Avenue. So I do know very well <laughs> CBGB. Did you ever go to Max's Kansas City? No, no, no. no. That, that was uh, New York City, CBGB. That was the place. <laughs> Max's Kansas City was also well known, and mm. it was a place that my sister used, used to go to all the time because she went to school in Manhattan. Okay. But uh, right on. That's, uh, that's OG. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it, it closed a long time ago now, actually, huh? CBGB. But oh, so many famous it, bands started out there. They tried to reopen it in Las Vegas, and I don't think they succeeded. Oh, really? Las Vegas, of course. <laughs> if they can find a marketing idea, they will recycle it over there. So, so talking about Panda. Panda, yes. Let's go. Let's go. Amazing Hall came out with the uh, blog post on the Google blog. More guidance on developing high-quality websites. Okay, so uh, I um, oh, hold on. Let me go on. There was this first uh, article that you published uh, in 2014, but, but you wanted to talk about this one, maybe, right? I want to talk about this one, right? Mm. So the reason why I want to talk about this one was because it introduced the idea of. Google breaking words down on page into uh, n-grams. Mm -hmm. Okay, so the part you're pointing at there is Google saying, okay, what what uh, query terms are people finding a website for? And if we look at the pages, what do we see? What, what query terms do we see the pages being optimized for? What's very interesting is that, um, did you ever hear me explain the mystery word game? I think, no. I think I did. This is the way I explain it to clients. Um, and uh, definitely Ngram is part of this. Yeah. Uh, if you play the mystery word game, uh, you um, have to, it's, a, it's like a TV show. Okay, you, yeah. you, I have a, a card with a, a word and I have you to make you guess that word. And I have to use a whole bunch of things, a whole bunch of entities, a bunch of synonyms, whatever I can to uh, try to make you guess. And that's a little bit, I guess, what, uh, what this whole uh, game is all about, right? And Ngrams is a sequence uh, of entities and you will be able to to uh, define the next one. Uh, right. so, so, so there's another pattern that talks about engrams and doing statistical analysis. So there's engrams on a site to try to get a sense of what the quality of the website might be. And they compare, uh, they perform this analysis on sites and they compare the site to what they consider high quality websites. Like they might consider the IRS website to be high quality. Mm -hmm. They might consider the New York Times website to be high quality. And they'll say, is your website as high quality as these other ones we like a lot? If, you, if it's not, your site might get a low quality score. So this, uh, is this a Panda patent uh, patent was about uh, 
what query terms your website was being found for. If your website was being found for very similar, mm -hmm. somewhat related query terms, like how to tie a knot and how to knot a tie, mm -hmm. and, uh, things that uh, were so close to each other in terms of uh, in terms of meaning, and and there's an incredible number of query terms that your website's being optimized for and being found for. Uh, that means your website doesn't have much focus on a specific topic. It's it's uh, they're going to consider it not as high quality. Exactly, but quality it's comes back again and again and again. But compared to what? That's the issue I have because in real life it's always compared to what? Well, now. So, so I mentioned the Amits and Gaul article. Mm -hmm. And in that article, he comes up with 23 questions to ask yourself as a site owner to determine whether or not your site is high quality. And one of them is, if you visited this site and they asked for a credit card to buy something, would you trust them with your credit card information? Uh, if you don't have trust in the site, it's not very high quality. Uh, this is it. Oh, it's loading, loading, loading. Here you go. 23 questions. Right. Uh, let, let's remind everyone that Amit Single is, is the one who actually yeah. built Google for real. He's, he's uh, Larry Page and Sergey Brin started it, but he rewrote PageRank and he was the this head of search for many years. This is the search engine land article on it. The name of the Google blog post is more guidance on building high quality websites. Yeah, got it. But search engine land was ranking higher than the official <laughs> Google. <laughs> Would you trust the information presented in this article? Is this article written by an expert or enthusiast who knows the topic well? Does the site have duplicate? Would you be comfortable giving your credit? Yeah, no, y'all. Uh, I think this this list is still very relevant today, actually. I think they're pointing out a list very much like this list for people who have been uh, hit by core updates. Exactly. Uh -uh. I mean, the, the list you're showing people now is very similar to this list. Mm -hmm. It's There's like very little difference. True. But again, compared to what? Let's... Uh, before we got in, we had a theory about how, why Panda, <laughs> why Panda, but without it getting into much detail, they had to put a th thresh threshold, right? They had to say, okay, this is quality right there. And so should we mention the media? I think that's important. Exactly. So, yes. so before Panda came out, Google was under attack by the media. They were having places like the New York, New York Times and Wall Street Journal write articles saying, I did a search on Google the other day and the results were terrible. I couldn't find what I wanted and the information I got from them wasn't very good. And uh, Google, we need uh, to know why this is happening. And that was going on for about two or three months. And Google came out with the panda update. What I love about this story, um, so 
the so-called content farms, okay? That's that's the website that were targeted by those journalists. And Ihao was the main one that they took as an example. But little known story is that about.com belong to the New York Times. So maybe the journalist of the New York Times was paid by the content farm <laughs> that, that, that New York Times because about.com was a big, big, big uh, website that, that was ranking a lot and definitely was making a lot more, lot money, a lot of money. So that was just a fun fact. <laughs> that the New York Times also had some content farms around and uh, maybe more than one. I don't know. But at least about.com, I know it was uh, New York Times property. And the first update was uh, the so-called farmers update. Uh, those were directly targeted. So that was the first threshold. Okay, content farms, no more. Yeah. Lots of AdSense. AdSense was one of the big triggers. That's also very funny. If you read the, the following quarterly report, they had a huge drop in um, revenues from editors, of course, because uh, they shot themselves in the foot. Short so that was, that was the name that Danny Sullivan gave the update, the farmer's update, because he said content farms are the targets of these. Mm. Uh, and traditionally, content farms are, are pages purposefully set up to uh, get lots of clicks, showing lots of advertisements. But in fact, it's I think it's wrong to say it's exactly like, like the the how you call it money and health uh, type of it's just a footprint okay lots of ads uh, many articles around the same topic and so on a list of footprints yeah. but regardless of it's if it's a content farm or not a content farm or a very specific type of website it's just the the footprint that they targeted um all the content farms had these footprints but do you really think that they target certain categories of websites more than others or just? I, I, I think the focus towards high quality websites points out that they were yeah. trying to uh, get rid of low quality websites mm. ranking well. Mm -hmm. So they were, they, they were had a quality threshold, which interesting the uh, patents I see, they're talking about uh, what they might be doing now with the core updates. Say they, rank sites based upon whether or not they meet certain quality thresholds. Mm -hmm. And uh, like always, uh, the, no, not like always, like, like everybody knows, this was a, a manual filter. So somebody has to press a button and launch that manual filter that would get refreshed and different versions of Panda and officially eventually ending up into the core algorithm. Um, they did a very good job with Panda, actually, I think, to, to transition from a manually launched filter into a um, signals into the, the, the core algo algorithms. Um, do you remember how many, how many versions of Panda were there? I don't, I don't remember, but there were a bunch, huh? <laughs> yeah. And compared to what we will talk next, which is Penguin, I believe that there's a lot uh, of that manual filter into the core algorithm. They, they, they really made a beautiful transition. What's, what's your point of view on that? 
I mean, they learn a lot from, from Panda, a lot more than uh, Penguin, <laughs> which was more fair, but no spoiler. We'll talk about it in a couple of minutes. I think they're still sort of working on Panda these days with the core updates mm. they've done. They're still targeting the tape, same type of stuff. They're still mm. targeting creating high-quality websites. It seems like it's more refinement, refinement, fine-tuning. Uh, they don't they don't cut through the bushes like with a big machete, <laughs> like, like, uh, because if, for those who were not uh, there when Panda hit, it was it was big, it was really big. Uh, it was a shock, electroshock in the industry, and again yeah. it, because it went beyond the SEO industry. SEOs are used to to penalties and blacklisting and all that stuff. Uh, that's part of the business model. But regular business owners, regular website owners who got hit, forums, like I said, you know, those, those, those type of websites, they were not used. Um, and manual penalties, furthermore, you know, like it's one thing to have an algorithm say, okay, you don't belong anymore. But when a manual filter hit and you need to wait until that manual filter is refreshed and you don't know when it's going to be refreshed, it puts a lot of stress in, uh, in people and a lot of businesses, uh, a lot of SEOs quit, actually. <laughs> a lot of uh, businesses quit also. Um, short term, it was a big earthquake. But long term, now that we can look back, almost almost 10 years, yeah. It makes sense, and it was definitely for the best, even on Google's Google's term, because, like I said, it, they got hit also from a financial standpoint because the main target was AdSense, <laughs> which belongs to to Google, and and the, the sites with a lot of AdSense. What's a correlation? Doesn't mean causation type of thing, but the fact and the matter is that. Most, uh, pretty much all of the websites who got hit really hard were heavy hitters with uh, AdSense. Um, do we have any more to say about Panda or should we move on to, uh, to the next one? I think we should move on to the next one. Because Panda was about content and they were like, okay, what are we going to do about links? <laughs> because... <laughs> Before Penguin, we had tools like XRammer who that, that could build up to 2,000, 3,000 backlinks a minute, mostly like profile forums and blog comments, that type of uh, spammy links. But from two to 3,000 links a minute to today, where you are very aggressive if you build one link every three or four days. <laughs> That's a big change in the mindset. And right after Panda Pen Penguin hit, I remember exactly because he was in the spring and the whole summer for three or four months, not one single link was built on the entire web. Not one. Everything froze. <laughs> um, but let's begin with... Uh, the first penguin. The idea, the concept behind it was to um, filter low quality links and, and, and try to, uh, uh, because before, if the link didn't help, it didn't do anything bad. Because there's always this need to prove, Google needs to be 100% sure that the site owner 
manipulated the, the, the link profile. Otherwise, it's too easy. I just throw you a bunch of bad backlinks and you derank. So it would be easier to derank competitors instead of pushing your own page. There have always been sites that scrape your content. And potentially link to you or scrape somebody's content that maybe links to yours. And they're not necessarily sites that you want links from. True. All those who is websites, all those uh, uh, right. tons, of, and, tons of websites. And, and, and they're things that you have no control over. You're mm. not linked to them. They're linking to mm. you. Mm. Now, it used to be a common statement from uh, Google saying, don't link to bad neighborhoods. They never quite defined what a bad neighborhood was, but they told you don't link to bad neighborhoods. So you weren't supposed to link to places that weren't very high quality. Uh, you had no control over people linking to you, except often you do, because people do link outreach and things like that, and they create uh, guest posts, and they, they do other things. They get links pointed to their, website, their own websites. Hold on, Bill. I think there's yeah. one website, the official website for the Olympic Games. You are not allowed to link it. You need permission, I think, from the Olympic uh, Committee to, to, to build a, a link. It, I think it's true. Yeah, I remember that story. <laughs> that, there, but there, I don't know any other one. <laughs> there, there are a few other websites that uh, put that on their sites. Uh, no linking to the site without our permission. And most people didn't take that seriously. Yeah, because then you have to go through the whole lawyer thing and, and so on. So um, that's only like a great idea. Let's get rid of backlinks. In my opinion, it had a lot of a lot more like psychology, psychological effect that really anti-spam uh, effect. It. it it made everybody quit um, linking right away. And I think even today, the the pressure they put into, the fear they put into people's mind about backlinks, um, did uh, that's basic psychological warfare tactics, okay? I, I wrote a blog post in July of 2011 about Google acquiring a thousand patents from IBM. IBM, for some reason, decided to sell a thousand patents to Google. And I looked at the USPTO, the United States uh, Patent and Trademark Office assignment database from time to time. And I noticed this thousand or so uh, assignment of patents uh, to Google. So I wrote a blog post about it. I said, okay, I, I've gone through these patents. I found 15 or so that are related to search. Here they are. Uh, no no idea. Yeah. Is that it? That's it. And this post got an uh, incredible amount of links to it. Hmm. it. It was in the New York Times. It was in the Wall Street Journal. It was uh, Bloomberg News called me about it, and they posted about it. Uh, Lots of other places wrote about this blog post. And uh, I probably got like 200,000 links in the first week or so. Interesting. 
Huh. And all kind of patterns too, huh? Yeah. Wow. I I, I totally uh, missed that one. I can hmm. Weird. So at, that, at that point, people were interested in the fact that Google was buying these patents to give them protection from other search engines. It, it was mm. the more patents you have, the more protection you have. What's interesting is there was a bid, right? And they were they were competing with other big ones, Apple, Microsoft. That was that was for an earlier group of patents from uh, Nortel. Oh, that was and before. Okay. Google lost that bid. So, so all of a sudden, out of the blue, Google acquired these thousand bands from IBM that and, nobody had even talked about. And also, when they bought Motorola, that that one I remember, yeah. Yeah. That was more about the the patents than the than the phones. Um, so, so I watched this uh, post gain links for a period of six weeks or so from across the globe, mm -hmm. because after the large newspapers. In the United States wrote about it. Small newspapers in the United States wrote about it. And then large newspapers from Europe and Asia wrote about it. And they just kept on. And it's very attractive to have links falling in like that. Of course. I can understand why people <laughs> might use an X-Rummer and then be happy to see a couple thousand links an hour because mm. I was getting a couple thousand links an hour. Wow. Really? <laughs> wow, that's crazy. Yeah. But the the game of SEO is about you need to send a signal powerful enough to trigger in a positive way algorithms, but you need to stay underneath the statistical anomaly. So now there's a peak of backlinks. Yeah. If it's all PHP BB forum profiles that's easy to, to, to see. But now, how does Google find out that this peak of backlinks was <laughs> legit? So, so uh, there was a, a SES conference where Matt Cutts spoke at, where somebody asked him that question. He said, okay, right now there's a, a tsunami blog website from the South Pacific. And the person writing about it is helping people who suffered from a tsunami uh, get uh, help from Red Cross and stuff like that. And they have lists of places you can donate to. And, and the sites received an incredible amount of links. It's, it grew to like a PageRank 8 site, like within a period of a couple of weeks. Wow. Because it was so helpful because mm -hmm. it contained all the news from that location, from that time. And Matt said, this was legitimate link building because people wanted to know about what was going on. And they linked to it because it included helpful information. We didn't see anything abnormal in terms of the links we analyzed going to the site. Mm -hmm. uh, so this does happen. We do see links grow like that in some cases. So it does trigger a filter because there's a statistical anomaly, but then uh, Again, they, they have all these kind of footprints and, and they have... So they understand how links, how pages are linked to each other in a link graph of the web. They look for uh, bipartite uh, uh, constructions of those links mm -hmm. in the link graph and, and pages that seem to link to each other. They can tell when, when there are very low quality pages 
that all link to some other page. Mm -hmm. Say you have 5,000 pages that are brand new that all link to one page. That's like a sign of a doorway page. Exactly, yeah. They, they, they've learned how to analyze link graphs like that to recognize when there's potentially problems. When it gets a little trickier is that it was, okay, they got rid of Xtramer and the big blast of thousands of links. But then yeah. for negative SEO purposes, people started to buy like cheap offshore, not to be targeting one country or one continent in particular, but very low quality uh, spam uh, blog, uh, blog comment type of links and so on. But they weren't, they weren't done massively. They were done throughout the years, and some website did get hit by by penalties, uh, penguin penalties, because competition was buying off those those very low quality uh, link building um, services. It's sort of like getting a parking ticket for your car. So your car has to park in a particular place in public, mm. and it's got a license plate, so it can be identified. And if you leave it in a place where it's not supposed to be day after day after day, somebody's going to notice they're going to write down a license plate number. It's like having a website on the web that's in a place that people with tools that can identify links and websites can see. Mm. They're, they're going to... Uh... <clears throat> so Microsoft, when they were uh, trying to identify spamming pages, they had a phrase they used. They said they follow the money. So they, <laughs> look at, they, they look at advertisers and stuff mm. like that. And they, they try to get a sense of uh, what's going on that seems kind of strange. And Google can look at links and say, okay, where are new links? Where are new pages happening? How much value do they have? Who's linking to them? How quickly do new links appear on a website? Mm -mm. What rate of growth are they occurring at? What stands out as some type of anomaly? What do you think about the the cruelty of it was I think it was what eighteen months between two refreshes of Penguin at one point? It's a long time. It was over a year. Uh, was it a sign that it was struggling? What what's your take on that? I was happy I didn't work for Google. <laughs> there was, was a turning point, and definitely uh, because, well, it's not a spoiler to say that um, they had to reverse to the old ways, uh, saying that if a link doesn't do any, you any good, it doesn't do any bad. So our conception of Google before Penguin showed up was if you got a link from a place that wasn't very good, Google wouldn't count it. Mm. That's how we thought, used to think about links. And then all of a sudden, Peng, uh, Penguin shows up and Google's telling you, if you get a link from someplace that isn't very good, we're going to penalize you. Mm. So, so why they change that? <laughs> when when it, at one point, they just wouldn't count it. And for once in my life, uh, I was happy that you didn't have a better answer than me when before we turned on, I said, Bill, I really don't know what's left of Penguin in the core algorithm. And you were like, well, 
I don't think there's much either. I don't know. <laughs> it, it, it seems like uh, they've backed off on a lot of stuff. They're mm -hmm. telling people you don't necessarily want to disavow links. They're saying stuff like that. And, and, and they are saying, okay, you can disavow them, but be careful when you disavow because people sometimes disavow uh, links that actually are worth using. Mm. I never trusted that disavow file thing. It's it's like a good gangster, okay? If you're if you're an experienced mafia and you're a member and you're arrested by the cops, you don't talk, you don't speak. So now Google has a hint of something you did, and with a disavow file, you tell it, yeah, it's exactly right. <laughs> don't speak when you, you get arrested by the cops. Call your lawyer. Call us a consultant. <laughs> So I get a link on my website from someplace like Moz, and all of a sudden I, I get messages from or emails saying uh, that I'm being linked to from 30 or 40 other websites that aren't Moz from the Moz article. Mm -hmm. And somebody's scraping Moz and reposting that article, and, and get, I'm getting trackbacks from those articles that I don't want links from. And I can I can just say no I'm I'm not going to accept that one, but people are copying at high rates some sites. That's true. Uh, but do you have a website that's I believe powerful enough from PageRank and authority standpoint to resist this kind of uh, low hanging fruit attacks uh, that that it won't shake you down because. Uh, you 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 have a powerful website. I think that's the best protection to um, against this type of uh, problems, uh, duplicates or or bad bad links. Is uh, yeah, build a strong website and you will survive. Yeah, build build high quality, mm. much faster. Yeah. But the disavow file went from maybe being used for algorithmic uh, purposes for Penguin to only be used uh, for manual penalties. And I think even today, even for manual penalties, it doesn't even do anything. Uh, so uh, I really believe it was kind of a machine learning <laughs> type of thing for, <laughs> for them. <laughs> and the Penguin that is... Um, that install that that fear of backlinks and today okay first we had rel no follow yeah then penguin many seo professionals quit panda penguin it was too much they quit and some famous one i mean i remember jill jill wallen she she kind of left off after that that big wave and many many others um I believe there it was it, the, they won the fight about leaks, uh, uh, but they kept on going and going, and still today they they keep on pushing that message, the message that that backlinks. Uh, well, I think there's a lie is that they pretend that it's just one signal amongst many others. Well, it's the most powerful of them. <laughs> there's nothing more powerful than a link. Especially backlink, internal link is also a link. Uh, if in the without going through like 200 ranking signals, uh, we 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 can deny the fact that the power of backlinks is definitely unbalanced compared to uh, 
to other signals and then trying to make people believe that it's just one signal amongst many others. Eh, I don't think it's fair. Links, links have lots of value for organic search results, for real-time search results or for news search results. Links have very little value because real-time search results, their, their value is that they're real-time, they're immediate, like a, a tweet uh, isn't going to get much page rank. It's no. not many things linked into it, and it shouldn't rank because of that. It's it should rank because somebody decided to tweet earthquake when they get hit by an earthquake, and you want that to rank. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we, just just a <laughs> side note: we could make an entire episode about the love and hate story between Google and Twitter. Oh, I'll show you the Twitter, the tweets. I don't show you the tweets anymore. I'll show them again and not anymore. <laughs> don't so, bet on Twitter showing up and on on Google. <laughs> so same thing with news articles. Hmm. Google doesn't necessarily rank news articles higher because they have more links to them. Yes, but do you remember that Matt Cutts experiment or that Matt Cutts blog post when he said, we tried search without backlinks. <laughs> that didn't yeah, work very well. <laughs> so, so, of course, the so rest is, is important. But what I'm trying to say is that, and especially uh, there was a, official SEO myth-busting uh, Google video recently with the lady from Bing and Martin's uh, split. And opening um, scene was like, hey, backlinks are a myth. <laughs> no, it's not a myth. That you get, if you get more backlinks, you, you will rank higher. That's a myth. Come on. So, so Jason Bernard did an interview with Gary Eels about ranking signals and Gary gave him the speech that new, Google, new Googlers get from people who've been there for a while where they talk about how Google looks at a mix of different ranking signals for each page. And they, they always ask certain things like, does a query or does a page mention an entity of some type? Will mm -hmm. it return the response to an entity search? Uh, does it provide, does it uh, have links pointing to it? And it was a mix of like eight or 10 different signals. And they said these might have, uh, they might work together multiplicatively. They might work together additively. Uh, the strength of the signals, the scores from the signals might be multiplied by each other, depending on what signal is. If you have uh, eight signals that are all C grade signals, you might have a C average. If you have eight signals, one of them's an A grade signal, like links, but the rest are F grade signals, like you don't have many links, uh, the site might rank lower than if all, they were all C grade signals. Mm -hmm. So there's some type of value in them being. Uh, at least average of course if you if we want to um identify one big ranking signal signal that i saw growing up over time it's most definitely the block of content 
back in the days, it didn't really matter. Title tag, and that's all you needed, uh, or maybe three, five hundred words. And and um, throughout time, I really saw how Google improve uh, content analysis and how, how this uh, the whole part the co the whole content part of of, um, of the page took more and more importance remember back in the days maybe h1 was more important than than the content part uh, had more uh, uh, in the seo's mind uh, workflow optimization h1 was definitely uh, um, higher in the, everybody's uh, toolbox but it's um came with that some side effects are for example that myth of the 2000 words per page average right, right. <laughs> which is um once again uh we've spoken about this when you try to search for something you take right and you make your answers fit your questions uh, and or you take left and you don't even know if you will find something and the, the 2000 uh, uh, words per page is definitely one of those uh, they took right <laughs> <laughs> because it all depends on the topic on the intent on, on many many things and it does make sense if you want to cover a topic well yeah you will need maybe a bunch of words that will average to 2000 but it doesn't mean that if you write 2000 words, you real rank high. And now people are spending all this money writing 2000 words just because it's the norm. That does not guarantee. It's not because all the page, most of the pages on the front first page have an average of 2000 words that if you write 2000 words, you have more chances to be on the front page. Because sometimes it's even 10,000 words that you might need. Uh, when I see on certain queries, 2,000 words is peanuts. It's just the introduction. Uh, they, they have an entire white book. It's an entire encyclopedia that they, they, they publish to, to, to rank first. And on other queries, it's just a, maybe a simulator or, or just a form or just a, depends on the intent, depends on what you want, you know? So when you search for pizza at lunchtime where you're at, exactly. chances, chances are you don't want a web page that's about the history of pizza. Exactly. All the recipes to make pizza. Chances are you want a phone number to call to order pizza for lunch yeah. or, or an address to drive to. And a reputable, a reputable <laughs> brand you know, uh, easy uh, way to to uh, buy and to get delivered, and that's it. That will you, you don't need two thousand words, right? And I I demonstrate that so many queries. I'm like, look, <laughs> no two thousand words in the first five or six right. uh, first uh, first results because. That's not the intent. It's not about reading the, the history or the, the whatever you want about, about that, that thing. So now where we're at is um, we covered that 
what we call the Google Zoo, <laughs> Panda Penguin. <laughs> right. they, they, uh, then uh, for the next time, we will move on to uh, Strings to Things, <laughs> okay. which is another big leap forward into the evolution of Google. This journey going from the first early days of Google to, uh, to today. So, Mr. Bill, yeah. you will be wearing the same T-shirt next time because we are batch recording this. <laughs> oh, I lost Bill. Hold on. Let me reconnect with him. I was, uh, I was just saying that I won't lie to the people. You will wear the same T-shirt because we are recording the next, uh, next episode just right now. Okay. So, for everybody else, see you in a few days. Okay. And uh, Bill, I'll see you in a couple of minutes. All right. Thank you. Thank you. I'll see you.